I'm glad y'all are here. I am really excited about starting Revelation. Here's why. Revelation, I think, is one of the most talked about and most misunderstood books in the entire Bible. Um, um, let's see if that helps. Um, here, here's, here's what it has. Uh, by some people, it's considered a mystery where the truths in this book are unknowable, right? Some people have used this book as a, a playbook uh, to honestly do some atrocious things, things we would call criminal. Other people think that this book is the most important book out of the entire uh, scriptures, that they see their faith through the lens of this book. With all that large of a spectrum on one book, it's understandable if we all have this question. What is Revelation all about, right? Like, that's the question. What is Revelation all about? Well, today, we get to answer this question, right? We get to answer this question about what it's about. As a matter of fact, we're going to answer it in the first few minutes. As a matter of fact, we are going to answer that question in the first five words of this book. We get to see what this book is all about. Now, I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm definitely not a biblical scholar. I read books by biblical scholars, but I am not a biblical scholar. But here is what I can guarantee you. This book of Revelation isn't mysterious. Its truths are not hidden. It is clearly seen. But before we answer what this book of Revelation is all about, I want to put another question in your head. Because like I said, we're going to answer that question fast. And unless you all want to be done in five minutes, I want to give you another question, right? We got, we got, we've got a whole rest of the chapter to go through. Because once you know what Revelation is all about, as we learn together through this book, Here's the other question I want you to consider, and we're going to answer this one today too. What do I do with it? What do I do with the book of Revelation? Once I know what it's about, what do I do with it? Well, now, here's where this letter, this book gets really good when you start considering what do you do with the book of Revelation. And honestly, it's a question that I had um, until someone kind of reshaped my thinking on this book. Uh, my pastor back in Tennessee, um, uh, his dad was a pastor, so he was the son of a pastor. Actually, I was on staff with three other guys who were all sons of pastors. Um, they, we would call ourselves, you know, the son of a pastor, son of a pastor, son of a pastor, and I said, I'm the son of a beer drinker. That's the way, that's the way my childhood was. But Eugene's dad um, was a, a pastor in South Africa. They lived right outside of Johannesburg. And as we were talking about Revelation one day, Eugene, who's my pastor, shared with me what his dad said. And his dad made a very interesting comment about Revelation to Eugene that Eugene shared with me. And, and he said this, he said, Revelation isn't so we can predict the future. Now that alone changed my thinking. Revelation isn't, because I thought that's kind of what it was for. I thought when we read Revelation, it was so that we would know what this thing called the tribulation is, that we would know what end times are, that we'd be able to, 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 to identify who this antichrist is and when is he going to show up, that we would be able to know this, this, what this thing called the rapture is, that we would, that we would know, our, like, are we, are we pre-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial, like all of that. That's what I thought this book was for. And so when he said it's not about the future, and I said, well, what? And he goes, this, Revelation isn't so we can predict the future. Revelation is so we can know how to respond when the future happens. And it seems kind of nuanced, but for me, it changed my perspective on this book. Because this book 
this letter, Revelation isn't written so I can get comfortable with my understanding of how I think things are going to unfold in the future. I can't get comfortable in my ability to know the future. And, 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 and here's what I've seen. I'm going to go off on a tangent here, so this could be completely wrong. I'm off script, right? But, but bear with me. Here's what I've seen. I have, in, in going to seminary and being around folks in ministry for, for quite a while, um, there, there is a certain group of people that use this book. And let me tell you, they know how things are going to pan out. At least they think they do. They know what's going to happen. And they're very, very sure of it. Now, what's interesting, you've got people in different camps that are very, very sure of how things are going to work out, and they think it's all going to work out differently. That is great and fine. Here's where the problem is. When someone holds on to their system of thinking and, and, and to their system of understanding this book in particular more tightly than they hold on to the rest of the Bible, that creates a problem. Here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the Gospels, right? You have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and, and, and you've got the scribes and all of these people are interacting with Jesus. Now, these people know their Bible, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, the scribes, they know their Bible backwards and forwards. And yet, when the Savior and the Messiah that they had been waiting for shows up, they don't recognize him because they're holding on to their their, their, their beliefs of how this was supposed to happen and miss the fact of what God was actually doing. Church, I don't want us to be that group of people, right? Because we're going to find out really quick what this book is intended to do for us. And so this whole idea that revelation wasn't so that I can know the future, so that I can know how to respond when the future happens, it blew my mind. And so here's what I want us to do as we go through this book. I want, to, I want us to lay down a couple of ground rules. One, I want us to be clear on who this book is about. Right? And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Two, I want us to be clear on our response to this book. And we'll see that as we work through this first chapter. Those two rules are our ground rules for the rest of this book. And when I say the rest of this book, like, y'all, buckle up. I have no idea how long we're going to be in Revelation. Right? We're going to start it, we're going to go for about five or six weeks, and then we're going to do an Easter series because I want to look at the seven things that Jesus said on the cross through the lens of the resurrection and, and the power of what he said. And then we're going to come back to Revelation after Easter and just keep on going. I honestly haven't mapped out how long it's going to be yet. We might be here for five years. We're not going to be here that long. Um, but, but the point is, we are going to work our way through this book. And as we do, those two ground rules will not change. We will, we will stick to who this book is about, and we will stick to our response to this book. Deal? All right. Now, let's dive into that first question. What is Revelation all about? I gave you a clue when I did the round rules because I didn't say what. I said who. Uh, but let's look at the first five words. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ. So, from the very beginning of this book, we see who this book is all about. Don't we? Revelation is all about Jesus. 
That's what the book of Revelation is all about. And let me explain this term, Jesus Christ, that John uses. It may be a very familiar term to many of you. And, and, and for those of you who are new to church, I'm glad that you're here at Fellowship. We, we, we believe ourselves to be a church for the people who don't have a church. So I'm glad that you're here. And, and the fact that Jesus Christ is put together, the person who wrote this wants you to do something when you see those words put together. Jesus is obviously the first name. That's Jesus. Christ is this title that sometimes follows the name Jesus. And here's what Christ means. Christ in Greek means anointed one. And the reason that they got that word is they looked at the Hebrew word for Messiah and translated it into Greek to become up with Christ. And so, so when you see Jesus Christ, it is to anchor you into not only the Jesus that you see right in front of you, but to this this Messiah that was predicted so long ago. Like it was this Messiah that the nation of Israel waited for. They had prophecies saying that this, this guy was going to come and this guy was going to free them from their sin. This guy was going to free them from their slavery. This guy was going to be a king and a priest. That's who this Messiah is. What's interesting is this Messiah that was predicted, this Christ that was predicted, was predicted before the nation of Israel was even a nation. Right? All the way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you have the creation. Genesis chapter 3, you have sin entering the world. And, and at that moment that sin entered the world and God shows up and he's telling people what the consequences of that is going to be. He also reminds them that there is one coming who will, who will make right all the things that sin has done wrong. And, and it says he will, he's looking, God is looking to the serpent and says, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And so from that very beginning whisper of a Messiah, the prophecies unfold to reveal who Jesus is. And so when you read this book of Revelation, from the very beginning, they want you to know that this Jesus that this book is about is the Jesus that has all the entire scriptures have been pointing to. He's the same Jesus from the very beginning. He's the one that the nation of Israel waited for, and he's the one that we need. And so if Revelation is all about Jesus, here's what it means. It's not about any other person. It's not about the Antichrist. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about Jesus. And it's not about any system of theology. It is about Jesus. And so to make sure that we're all clear about this, Fill in the blank for me out loud. Ready? Revelation is all about Jesus. So proud of you. Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. Yes. Just so we're clear on this. Revelation is all about Jesus. Now let's move on to the next question. What do we do with this book now that we know who it's about? Well, let's keep reading and find out. So it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And so now we're introduced to who wrote this, who, who, who actually penned this down on paper, and his name is John. It's the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's that John. And what I love about John, if you read any of his writing, he is an artist, right? He's, he, he speaks in visual language. He speaks in themes. He's the perfect person for Jesus to show up and give this, this, this vision to. Now, let's keep going because... It gets really cool now because now we see this glimpse into what we're to do with it. Verse 3. 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so here we see the words of Revelation are meant to elicit a response. And that response is blessed. And let me tell you what this word means because it's so cool. Because a lot of times we just think hashtag blessed and, and we're good, right? But what this word means is it means happy. It means joyful. It means content and complete and whole. And so here we see the words of Revelation might be to elicit something you don't expect. And that means they are written to make you happy. Revelation being all about Jesus is intended to make the reader and the listener happy. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever read the book of Revelation? If you have, raise your hand. Great. How many of you were happy as you read it? A few. Good. Good. Ever see one of those movies about the end times and apocalypse? Like, very rarely do you leave a movie like that feeling happy. You see... If you and I have read Revelation and not left feeling like that Steve Harvey, you know, like that's, that's what it's supposed to, you're supposed to read Revelation and feel that, right? Right? Could it be if, if, if we're not walking out of this book as we work through this without just like this, if we're not that, maybe it's because we misunderstand who this book is about or we misunderstand what we're to do with it. Let's keep reading because We've cleared one up, what this book is about. Let's see if we can clear the other one up. Verse 4. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Just to give you a little background here, um, this book is written to be passed around between seven churches. And this says Asia at that time. It was, it was, a, it was Asia. Now we know it as Turkey in that area. Um, and so this letter was written by John and then passed around uh, to these seven churches. And because it's a letter, it always starts with a greeting. And if you read any of the other New Testament books that are letters, there's always a greeting. It usually starts off with grace and peace to you. And then there's a little benediction. And that's just the way they used to write their letters then. And in that entry, in that greeting, there's always a little bit of theology to kind of set the tone for the rest of the letter. And John does the same thing. Look at what he says. He says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you from him who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And so John is giving this greeting of grace and peace, but he's doing it with this picture of the Trinity behind him. Like, like you, you see God the Father who was and is to come. You, you see the Holy Spirit. Seven is this number of complete and perfection. And so it's this idea that in the throne room of God, there is this spirit there that is holy and that is God. And that's the, the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, you see Jesus Christ with his position over all the kings of the earth. And so John wants his readers to know that this vision that's being passed around to the seven churches, God is fully behind this. This isn't something that he came up with. This is from God. And now he focuses in on Jesus. He looks at the Trinity and says, all right, let's, let's focus in on Jesus. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming in the cloud, with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is 
and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so remember, Revelation is all about who? Jesus. And John gives us this picture, and we're about to get another one here too, but, but, but these first few verses give us a rundown on who this Jesus is, that, that, that Jesus loves us, is what he starts off with. If you're new to church, you'll hear us talk about the gospel, this good news. It's important to understand that this good news starts with love. That Jesus loves us. And because he loves us, he frees us from our sin. That's our gospel, that the freedom that we experience from our sin, the the, the freedom from the slavery of the things that so easily entangle us is only found in Jesus. And then he makes us this kingdom of priests. He gives us this community and purpose. Then we see that Jesus is coming in the clouds, that he is going to return. And we see that Jesus is all. And so this Jesus is the one who gave John this letter to write and to pass around. Look at verse 9. I, John, your brother. We're going to find out a little bit more about him. Your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. So now we can see a little bit about John that God gave this vision to. He's on this island of Patmos and what we know about Patmos at this time was that it was a prison island and so John was in prison based on his testimony, based on his faith and the word of God and his sharing of the gospel. He was imprisoned for that. And so, so that's the tribulation that he was under, is that he was in prison because of his faith. And while he was in prison, Jesus gave him this revelation. I love the fact that he says he was, it was on the Lord's day and, 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 the, and the Spirit showed up to him. And, and, and what this means is that we don't have, at least not that I could find, we don't have a record of a church being on the island of Patmos in John's time. And so because it was Sunday, the Lord's day, he was worshiping God as if he was surrounded by a community of God because he knew in those seven cities that this is going to, and in the known world to him at that time, there were other believers worshiping on that day. And so even though he was by himself, he participated in what the worship of of all of those who have said yes to Jesus were doing. And as he was doing that, the Spirit of God showed up and gave him this vision. Look at this in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. We're going to see a bit later, these are the seven churches that this letter goes to, and it's going to be passed around. But look at what's happening in these churches. Look at what this vision does of this this lampstand. It says, And in the midst of the lampstand was one, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. You see, in the midst of these seven churches was Jesus. Son of Man is a title that you see in the book of Daniel. The trick with Revelation is you have to use the Bible to understand this book. And and Son of Man is a title that was given to the Messiah in Daniel. And as you read the Gospels, it's actually one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself, that he was the Son of Man. And so when, when John looks at this lampstand that represents these seven churches, he sees Jesus standing in the middle of them. Now, most of you, I don't know if you know my story or not, this, the, be, me becoming 
a church planter and a preacher was not a position that I wanted. I didn't want to be lead pastor. I didn't move here to be lead pastor. I was here with another guy, Jonathan North, and myself co-founded this church together. And he was the lead pastor, and I was the other guy that did all the other stuff to make sure it was, it was all done. I personally like that role of being the second chair. Like, that's my favorite chair to sit in is the second chair, actually. And then Jonathan uh, had to leave, and he went to Greenville to lead men's ministry there, and now he's in Montana helping pastors break through the stuff that's holding them back, which is incredible. But when he left, we didn't have any money or anybody else to take the lead pastor role, so it fell on me to take it. And I struggled with that. Because I like being in the second chair. And there was one day uh, where um, there was this, it was, it was real fun. There was this woman downtown who worked for the International House of Prayer. She was a missionary for them here in Asheville. And this is when our office was in downtown in the Flatiron Building. And as all of this was unfolding and me moving in the lead pastor role, I saw her downtown one day. And so she asked, like she always does, she goes, hey, what can I be praying for for you? And I didn't tell her what was going on. I just said, there's a lot of stuff going on. And even the fact that we're in the Flatiron Building, like there's all kinds of stuff spiritually going on around us. Can you just pray for us? She goes, I tell you what. She goes, I have a meeting that I'm going to. And then I'm going to come back and I'll pray for you. I'll pray over your offices. I'll do all that. And I said, great. I said, I've actually got a meeting that I'm, I'm going to be in and out. And so if I'm here, great. If not, feel free to just pray over us, even though I'm not there. And she said, great. Well, I happened to be in the office. Her and a friend knocked and came in. And we had this really sweet time of prayer. And it was interesting. At the end of it, her friend goes, you know, I just have this vision that doesn't make sense to me. I have this picture in my head um, where Jesus wants to let you know that he's the head of the church. Like he's leading. Does that make any sense to you? And I said, well, let me tell you what I haven't told you. I said, I'm in a position now where I'm coming in as lead pastor and I don't want to be the lead. And she said, oh, honey, you're not. (laughs) She says, Jesus wants you to know he's the head of the church. And so even though my title is lead pastor, Jesus is the head of the church. This picture that that Jesus gave John is for these seven churches to know that Jesus is the head of the church. And here is why. Have you ever heard of the phrase, a come to Jesus meeting? Right? A come to Jesus meeting, if you haven't heard of it, a come to Jesus meeting is when you're about to have a conversation with someone where there is some hard truth about to be spoken. And it is an opportunity for you or them, depending on who the Come to Jesus meeting is focused on, to confess and repent of something. That's what a Come to Jesus meeting is. These seven churches that John sees in this representing this lampstand that Jesus is in the midst of it, the next couple of chapters, they're all about to have a Come to Jesus meeting. Right? And Jesus is going to follow this formula with each of these churches telling them what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, and what they need to repent of, and what that repentance looks like, and the consequences if they don't. That is a come to Jesus meeting. And he wants them to know that when they have this come to Jesus meeting, he is not against them, he is for them, and he is right there in their midst. And I share all that with you because I'm going to go ahead and tell you as we go through this series, you will need to remember that Jesus is not against you, that he is for you and that he is on your side because you know what we are praying that you are going to have a come to Jesus moment as we work our way through this book of Revelation 
Because if you want to experience happiness as we work our way through this, and you have that come to Jesus moment, you get to remember that this book is all about Jesus, and that Jesus that we're going to see in this book, that he is with you, that he is on your side. Because I predict that we all are going to have our come to Jesus moment. That's why this series is called Breakthrough, that your breakthrough moment will be your come to Jesus moment. And for you to come to Jesus, I want us all to know that Jesus is on your side. He is not against you. Why do you need him on your side? Because look at who he is. Verse 14. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. In the Proverbs, gray hair, white hair is always considered a sign of wisdom. Right? I see some very wise people here today. So, so this Jesus is wise. His eyes were like a flame of fire. When you, when, you, when you see fire in the scripture, you think of Exodus and you think of God directing his people by this pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so this Jesus directs us. He knows us. He sees us. Light, fire illuminates darkness and gets rid of the darkness. Jesus sees what's going on in your heart. He sees what's going on in the church. There's nothing hidden from him. Verse 15, his feet were like Burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. In other words, there is no enemy he can't crush. Right? He is all-powerful. He sees all. He sees into the heart and soul of you, into the heart and soul of this church. And there is no enemy that he can't crush. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Now, waters... In the scripture, oftentimes is considered this chaotic place. And if you're, if you're experiencing the roar of waters, you're experiencing this, this power. And so Jesus is powerful. In verse 16, in his right hand, he held the seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And so in his right hand, he held seven stars. We're going to talk about those in a minute, but pay attention to where they are because that's important. In his mouth is this double-edged sword. If you remember when we went through the book of Hebrews, that is the word of God. And so out of his mouth comes the very word of God. His face is like the sun shining. There is no darkness, right? It is pure and it is, it is light. Now, 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 let me ask you. If, if you were to stand in front of somebody and their eyes were fire and their face was bright as the sun and they had a sword coming out of their mouth, what would your response be? Well, look at John's. It might be similar to yours. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I bet you did, buddy. Right? Like, like his response is fear. But let me ask you, do you think The book of Revelation is written so that we will be in fear of this Jesus. No. Watch this. Because Jesus turns his fear to faith and faith turns to happiness. Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. For I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death 
in Hades. So when John falls down at Jesus' feet as though dead, y'all, this is our Jesus. He reaches down and touches John. He doesn't just teach him, he touches him. And he meets John right where he is in the midst of his fear and says what? Don't be afraid. I'm him. I'm the one that was dead and now I'm alive. I'm the one that holds the keys to death and Hades. I'm him. And Jesus says this to elicit a response from John. Not fear, but trust. You see, he wants John to trust him. And so the second question I said that we need to be clear on is what do we do with Revelation? Well, I think John shows us right here how we are to respond to Jesus as we read through this book that is all about him. You see, Jesus comforted John by showing that John could trust him, not be afraid of him. And we've seen Jesus place among the churches as the lead, that he is in the midst of them. We've seen his power, we've seen his wisdom, and we have seen the good news of the gospel and just who Jesus is. And so we know this book, Revelation, is all about Jesus. But now we see why. You see, Revelation is all about Jesus so we can trust Jesus fully. You see, the way... Our fear moves to faith and our faith moves to happiness is that we realize this Jesus that we see, we can trust him. And when we trust him, we end up like that Steve Harvey picture reading, reading Revelation. And that's why this was written. We can trust Jesus. We can even trust him in our fear because what does he do? He meets us there. Right? This book might scare you. Your response is to trust Jesus. We can trust Jesus in the unknown. There will be parts of this book that I look at and I'm like, y'all, I don't have a clue what John was seeing here. I don't know what this is. We can trust Jesus in the unknown. We're going to struggle as we read this book. John was in prison because of his faith. He struggled We can trust Jesus in our struggles. When we hit a wall in our faith, you know what we can do? We can trust Jesus. These mirror pieces behind me, I'm going to let you in on what you don't see about this. Um, These mirror pieces, if you believe in luck, I'm sorry you've come to the wrong place. Because not only, you know, is there seven years bad luck for breaking mirrors? I broke 13 of them to get those, that many pieces. So it's a good thing we don't worry about luck. I know who has the keys to death in Haiti, and it's not her. It's, it's Jesus. So, so I didn't worry about it. But, but we wanted something to kind of visually represent breakthrough. And so we had this idea of coming up with broken glass and broken mirrors and putting it up there. And so, so we broke a lot of mirrors, started putting it up there. But then what you don't see is that if you're a person who calls fellowship home, your name is on the back of one of those pieces. And you have been prayed for. But here's what you've been prayed for. Y'all aren't going to like this. I've prayed that every single person in this church experiences breakthrough as we work our way through this book. Which means you're going to hit a wall at some point. 
you are going to hit a place that's uncomfortable. You are going to hit something unknown. You are going to hit something scary. But remember, this book is all about Jesus. And it's all about Jesus so we can what? Trust him. When you hit that wall, it is an opportunity to trust Jesus to break through. So know that you have been prayed for. You were prayed for when, when uh, we wrote those names on the back. You were prayed for as we put those names, as we put those pieces up there. And, and I'd like to thank Joel Dippenbrock for helping and my wife for helping. It's funny, what you need to know about Joel and my wife is they both like puzzles. So um, then it was me, Carol, and Angie. Um, I don't know if Angie likes puzzles. Do you like puzzles? Okay, well, you were, you, were, you, were, you were working on something else. Me and Carol, not so much. So Joel had laid it all out here on the floor, which was awesome. And then Carol and I were starting to put it up, and I called my wife, and I was like, can you come finish this? Because we need somebody who likes puzzles. And so, so thank you to those who helped. It was, it was a, a work of love. And so, but just know that you've been prayed for, for breakthrough. Right? When you hit that wall, trust Jesus. That's what it's an opportunity for. And for those of you who haven't placed your trust in Jesus yet, maybe your trust is in you or your trust is in what you do, Jesus is the only one who can take your sins away and give you that freedom that this book will talk about. And so today, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, say yes to Jesus. And let me tell you what I mean by that. When I say say yes to Jesus, it means you are saying yes, that he is your savior, that he is the only one that can take the sin of your life away and, and, and what has entangled you, uh, the things that you keep running to that you know you shouldn't, or the things that you do uh, that you know you shouldn't, or the things that you don't do that you know you should, that sin and Jesus frees you from the power and the penalty and the regret and the guilt of that sin and so by saying yes to that you are saying yes to a life of growing in trust in that Jesus for those of you who have said yes to Jesus where do you need to trust him more today right now have you already hit that wall you see that's the question for you, is what wall needs to be broken through? Now, you may not know yet. That's okay. Start praying. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you some words to maybe help identify that wall. But here's what I guarantee. Over as we work our way through this book, you will find it. And when you find it, trust Jesus more. His hand is on your shoulder too. Let me show you this last couple of verses real quick, because honestly, I find a lot of comfort in them, and we'll be done. Verse 19 says, write therefore the things that you have seen and those that are and those that are to take place after this. That's actually an outline of the book. You have the things that are, that's the letter to the seven churches, and after that is the things that are to come. That's the, the, the stuff where it's look, John is looking beyond himself. Let's keep reading. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, the seven lampstands, we've already talked about, those are the seven churches because they're lampstands because they bring light to dark places. That's where they're lampstands. But you have these stars, which Jesus tells John they're angels. The word for angels is messengers. And these are the people who bring God's word to these churches. 
Some commentators think that these are the people who led those churches, the people who teach the Word of God, the pastors of these churches. That's why for me, this is very comforting because where are those stars? In Jesus' hand. That He's got us. And He's got a very special place for us. Now, if you think this is just about people like me, a little bit earlier, John reminded us we are actually all a kingdom of priests. That you take the message of God's word to your kids, to your, to your work, to your friends. When you are doing that, Jesus has this special place for you in his right hand. That's comforting. You know what that makes me want to do? Yes. I'm glad I don't want to be in anybody else's hand. Right? It, this builds my trust in this Jesus. You see, I can trust the one who holds me in his right hand. Where do you need to trust today? And the question is, can we trust the one whose hand is on our shoulders? I think we can. Let's pray. Jesus, um, you gave us this book so that we would know you. And in knowing you, that we would trust you. And I know in my heart there is fear at times. I know as we read this book, there will be fear. But Father, your desire is for us to be blessed, for us to be happy, because it is good. So Father, I pray that you take us there. And for those who are already there, may that happiness overflow to others. Show us the wall. Help us to trust you. Help us to break through. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.